You're listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes, a production of the Ephesus School Network. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The company of the angels was amazed. Hi, this is Father Aaron Warwick with Jason Everett, and you are listening to the Teach Me Thy Statutes podcast, episode number 160. Today's reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 7 through 15. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Father, as we begin today's episode, would you begin by explaining what Paul is referring to when he says, And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. What is it that the church in Corinth started a year ago? Yeah, it's a good question, and definitely more context is needed to understand today's reading, especially in in light of uh, what you just mentioned, that statement you mentioned. And what St. Paul is referring to here is a collection for the church in Jerusalem. If you look back at, at the first epistle to the Corinthians, that epistle concludes with an appeal for the Corinthians to financially support the church community in Jerusalem. And so here in today's reading, and specifically what you referred to with respect to them starting to do the work and having a desire to do it, this is what Paul's referring to, their financial support of the Jerusalem church. Okay, that, that makes more sense now in terms of what he's actually talking about, but perhaps you can explain why he was talking about this. Why does the church in Jerusalem need financial support from the Corinthians? I'm glad you you brought up this reading, Jason. Uh, I think it could really escape the attention of most people, but uh, it actually highlights some important issues going on in the early church and in the Pauline community. In fact, this whole collection for the church in Jerusalem is an important point to scholars of the New Testament and of the early church. And I won't name the professor, but we used to laugh at seminary about one of the professors bringing up this collection on a regular basis, it seemed like every class. But to his credit, it actually is a key component to understanding the early church and what Paul was doing, albeit not necessarily something well known to the average Christian. Yeah, well, that's really interesting. I had no idea I'd be uh, opening up this important issue when I selected today's reading, but uh, definitely interested to hear more about it. Well, let let me start here. I think today Christians in the U.S. uh, tend to have an exalted view of Israel. It's in part due to the impact of the rise of Zionism, which 
of course, could be an entire episode in and of itself, but I don't want to go down that road now. But what I want to do with respect to that is to point out that we have all sorts of Christians uh, making pilgrimages to Jerusalem, and of course, this extends back uh, as far as the 4th century with the rise of Christendom and the re-emphasis uh, on the idea of the Holy Land and, and all sorts of things like that, which the early Christian community, of course, went away from those ideas because of the teachings of Jesus and the recognition that we should be seeking the heavenly kingdom and not any sort of earthly kingdom. But unfortunately, since the 4th century, even into modern times, we do have many Christians who think highly of the physical land, the physical geographical space of Jerusalem, uh, viewing it as uh, the birthplace of Christianity, the place where Jesus actually walked on earth. And so again, there tends to be an exalted view of Jerusalem, which is quite different than how the city uh, was viewed at the time of Paul's epistle to the Corinthians, or at least the reality of daily life in that city. Uh, Father, I I think that... uh Paul's second epistle to the Corinthians was written in the in the mid fifties uh, A.D. So, what would the Church of Jerusalem have been like at that point? So, it, yeah, commonly accepted dating on Second Corinthians, like you said, uh, in the mid fifties. At that point, in the mid fifties A.D., you still have the temple standing in Jerusalem. So, in that sense, it is still a glorious city. Later, after the destruction of the temple, which isn't until seventy A.D the city really became more of a backwater town. And, and Christians, by and large, were okay with that. I mean, not that they preferred that, but they were okay with it. Uh, and they realized uh, that their fate uh, was not tied to the city of Jerusalem. And in fact, many scholars recognize the destruction of the temple, uh, the Christians' unwillingness to fight over the temple and to spill blood over the temple during the Roman-Jewish wars as the real point when it became clear that Judaism and Christianity would become separate religions. Up to that point, Christianity was considered to be a sect within Judaism. And this is why I say it's, it's so tragically ironic that Christians from the 4th century on have often spilled blood to try to control the city, or they've kept Jews out of the city at times, and now with Zionism, uh, many Christians not only supporting it but cheering it on, Uh, the spilling of blood over Jerusalem, which again, ironically, uh, is uh, Jerusalem means the city of peace, yet there is no peace there. So anyway, getting back to Paul's time in in the mid-50s, the time of this epistle, Jerusalem was a hotly contested city, and obviously this goes back even to Jesus' time in the late 20s and, and early 30s AD. Remember, Jesus was considered by the Roman state to be a rebel, someone trying to remove Uh, the Roman control over the city, and the gospel, of course, distinguishes Jesus from all the other uh, rebels that had had rose up at that time in that Jesus is teaching us to overthrow the city, uh, using that term, overthrowing the city loosely, by converting the Romans and sitting with them at the same table of fellowship, bringing them under the one God and Father of us all. Right. All good points to remind us of the broader context of the gospel and then getting back to the city of Jerusalem in the mid-50s, why would Paul take a collection, and what's the need at that time? Well, presumably the Christian community at that time, which, remember, would be a very small subset of the broader Jewish community, as I referred to earlier, uh, was feeling the impact of Roman rule. And it would vary from time to time. 
how the Jews would be treated, but obviously you can imagine what it's like for the Romans to come in to try to take over the city and then try to stave off the multiple attempts at rebellion by the indigenous people, by the Jews living there. It's not all that dissimilar, actually, to what's happening there today in Jerusalem with the indigenous population of Palestine and the Zionists now coming in and, and taking over. Of course, the indigenous people are going to rebel, and of course, the more powerful are going to oppress them uh, to defeat those rebellions and to gain complete, try to gain complete control. So it sounds like Paul would be taking a collection because the church in Jerusalem would have been a small minority subset of a larger group who itself was being persecuted. And so even if Jerusalem was still a magnificent city from the perspective of having this incredible temple, that the Christian community in the mid-50s would have been relatively poor and persecuted. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely correct. But if that was the extent of of the purpose of the collection for Jerusalem, then I don't think scholars would, would be nearly as interested in it as they are. Okay, so so what else is going on that piques the interest of biblical scholars? Well, we know that Paul really struggled with getting the Jewish Christian community to accept the Gentiles as full members of the what we now call the Christian community. And we, we've talked about this many times on, on previous episodes. We've even highlighted the fact that Paul's struggles were not just uh, with the status quo, but even the Jewish Christian leaders in Jerusalem. Right, and, and just to emphasize that, I'd point out, Paul's issues were with the highest leadership in Jerusalem, with Peter, who was the chief disciple and apostle to the Jews, and also with James, who was the first bishop of Jerusalem. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Paul is having these struggles with the Jewish Christian leaders to the extent that, as we've discussed and as is presented, especially in the epistle to the Galatians, uh, Peter at one point withdraws from table fellowship with the Gentiles, which in modern terms would be saying that Peter would not share in communion with them. So it's a very serious issue. It's, it's basically saying, uh, this withdrawing from table fellowship is basically saying, we don't recognize you as being Christians. And so how does this relate to Paul's collection for the church in Jerusalem? Well, Paul is using this collection to sort of bolster his case for the Gentiles. Uh, you have these Romans, these Gentiles in Corinth, and if you can show the Jewish Christians of Jerusalem that they are supporting you and helping you, then you can show that they really are of the same community. So again, you've got to step back and think about the context of all of this. Again, the Romans, the Gentiles are occupying your formerly Jewish capital, but these Christians in Corinth, who are again Romans, are supporting you, Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. It's like in our time when American Christians show their support for Palestinian Christians. Believe me, I know many, and, and they're so appreciative when Americans support them, and not just monetarily, but politically. And why is that? Because obviously the American government is supporting the modern state of Israel, so our support of the Christians there is so deeply meaningful to them, and, and thus it would have been for the Jewish Christians of Paul's time, the show of support by the Romans. Again, let me emphasize the Romans whose government was occupying you so that support by these Corinthians would have been deeply meaningful to the Jewish Christians of Jerusalem. And, and then on the flip side, uh, this collection for Jerusalem by Paul, it also sort of binds the Jewish Christians of Jerusalem. You see what I'm saying? I mean, you know, think about how do you accept this generous offering 
by the Romans, by the Corinthians, who are acting contrary to their Roman government that's occupying Jerusalem? How do you accept their monetary offering and then not accept them at the table of fellowship? And, and so you see from this, when you understand this uh, full context, how brilliant this move is by St. Paul. Not only is he providing the much-needed monetary support for the Jewish Christian community of, of Jerusalem, but in doing so, he's binding that community together uh, to accept the Roman Gentiles of Corinth, the same Gentiles that they had previously been so reluctant to accept. Mm. Well, again, Father, this is really fascinating to learn the history and the context behind Scripture and to understand what's actually going on. So I really appreciate all of that commentary. And we are running short on time now, but I do want to ask one last question. Would you comment on the final verses of today's reading, which say, For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Yes, so on on the one hand, you could say very simply that Paul is reminding the Corinthians of a basic tenet, a basic teaching of Christianity, that if God has blessed you with an abundance, you're bound to share that with those in need. That's just an elementary teaching of Christianity and, frankly, of the Bible more broadly going back Uh, to the Old Testament as well. But beyond that, what Paul is outlining here is specific to the Corinthian Christians and the Jewish Christians of Jerusalem. The Corinthians have an abundance, monetarily speaking. They're better off in the things of this world, and thus they are to share of those things with the Christians of Jerusalem. But on the other hand, Paul is pointing out that the Corinthians have inherited from the abundance of the spiritual blessings that had been granted to the Jewish Christians of Jerusalem. See, obviously we know that both Jesus and Paul teach that the gospel comes not from the earthly Jerusalem, but from above. That's consistent message and theme in the New Testament. Nevertheless, the gospel was not just some nebulous concept. From a physical standpoint, the message began to be proclaimed in Jerusalem, and then from Jerusalem it spilled over, so to speak, to be taught also to the areas surrounding Jerusalem, and then uh, eventually to places like Corinth, and then finally even to the center of the Roman Empire, to Rome itself, and through there to all the inhabited worlds. So what Paul is getting at here in today's passage is that the Jewish Christians have shared their spiritual treasure with the Corinthians, who had a spiritual need, a spiritual void, and in return the Corinthians, who have an abundance of monetary blessings, ought to share in return with those who had blessed them spiritually. Thank you, Father. In today's episode, we began by discussing what Paul is referring to when he writes regarding the work that the church in Corinth started one year earlier. Father Aaron explained that Paul had previously appealed to the Corinthians to financially support the church in Jerusalem. This was important because the church in Jerusalem was a small minority, relatively poor and persecuted. But Paul's intention went beyond mere financial support. Through the financial support of the Roman Christians in Corinth, Paul was showing the Jewish Christians of Jerusalem that they were all part of the same community. And the Romans in Corinth were also recipients, not of financial gifts, but the gift of spiritual treasure from the Jewish Christians. 
This binds the two seemingly disparate groups together. As St. Paul writes, For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that, as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. Thank you for listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes. We hope you tune in next week for a new episode. Alleluia, glory to thee, O God. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia.